From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, June 5th. It's not June 6th, it's June 5th, the year 2018. It's time for another edition of Off Your Chest with Danny Flecka. And for that, we welcome in Danny Flecka. Good evening. Good evening. Um, the Yankees caught a break. ESPN agreed to let that game against Toronto be moved back to daytime. So today's already been a good day for the Yankees in that respect. But they got bad news in that Jordan Montgomery needs Tommy John surgery. This is an interesting Yankee team. You know, they've played well for the most part. Um, they've, they've obviously got a lot of offense. But I think if you were to talk to most fans, they agree they probably need one more arm. I agree. I mean, that was probably their shortcoming going into the season, and you were hoping that you would get good seasons from the CC, Naka, Sonny, and Jordan, or whoever is still in that fifth spot, and um, everyone's, uh, Severino has kind of been up and down, and you can't really rely on them. CC started off great, was on a DL for a little bit, came back, was all right, but nothing special, and he's kind of leveled off since then. Um, Sonny Gray has been up and down all season. Naka, his numbers, when you look at it, it's pretty good. Like, when you look at his whip and his strikeout numbers and his walk ratio, but his, his home run numbers are astronomical for this part of the season. I think he's given up 15 or 16 home runs already, and his ERA is five, almost five. And he's lucky he gets to support his win-loss record. It may not really be indicative of how well he pitched individually. Better, I think it's better suited for, like, how the team is played behind him, but he needs not get down to that that four three that four three point five ERA because he's leaving pitches hanging in a lot of games and teams that shouldn't be in games against the Yankees are in games because of the home run ball that he's been giving up. Um, who is there somebody out there you want to see the Yankees get? I mean, I, I've heard some names that I think you know when I look back at the what ifs, I, I think the biggest thing that they could have done was get Garrett Cole last year, and, and they didn't get him. And they could have got him off this offseason. They didn't get him. And when you look at what's out there, you got to look at some teams that maybe are, are struggling to, to contend. That's not big ones contend that would be open to selling. Uh, the Yankees do have assets, but part of me is thinking that unless you're getting a, a very controllable asset from another team for three, four, or five years, that I'd be really hard-pressed to dip into that farm system because despite all those assets, you're looking at potentially three or four rotation spots next year that might be open and uh, you have some guys that could potentially come up and, and give you some innings and, and get you to where you need to get to and uh, I think when you look at the Yankees, you need have three starters going into the postseason and right now they have one, so uh, you know, before I reach out into the trade market, I look at guys like Chance Adams um, I, I can't remember the name of their other prospect they have, whether it's Justice Sheffield or uh, I can't. It might be somebody else's name. I'm missing right now, off the tip of my tongue. But uh, I think I give those guys a look before you go out and see if a guy like Cole Hamels is, is available, or uh, maybe take a look at the AL Central and some of those pitchers that could be available. Maybe look back at like Ian Kennedy uh, on the Royals. You know, teams that aren't contending. Um. Talking to Danny Flecker here on, on Teeing It Up. Uh, is there any other moves you would like to see the Yankees make? 
not really, to be honest. They've got depth. They've got people that are hitting the ceiling in AAA and looking for a way to the big leagues and can't get in there. You know, one good example is Clint Frazier. He was called up for the doubleheader, had a good good two games, and he, and he can't crack you know, the, the team. Brandon Drury, I think, still out in AAA. He can't crack the team. Um, you know, they have a good problem right now, but again, I'd be hard pressed to give up too much because you're looking at a team that, despite their them being in the win now mode, have players like Brett Gardner, Aaron Hicks, um, CC Zabatia, Tanaka, um, just to name a few that could not be with that team next year. They got to fill them some way somehow, and I'd rather them do it with the players they have than go out and spend money or. Um, pick up free agents that don't necessarily fit what they're trying to build. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the Red Sox got off to such a hot start. I think everybody agreed uh, that it would cool off. You you live up there in Boston. They have cooled off. What's What's been their issue, and, and what's what do you see them doing as, as we head in the summer and looking towards the stretch run at the trade deadline? I mean, there's no problem with the Yankees, do. They have um, a lot of offense despite Mookie being on the DL and Pedroia being in the DL, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are 1-2 in home runs, runs scored, record, you know, you name it, offensively they're there. Um, they need pitching just like the Yankees do, but unlike the Yankees, they don't have the depth or the prospect pool to, to dip into it and go after a potentially high, high-name guy. But Dombrowski has been known to sell and sell high and give up people, but uh, I don't know how much flexibility the Red Sox have, but you know, it's going to be a similar situation where I think the Red Sox and Yankees are competing for the same people, and whoever has the most to offer, I think, is going to get those players. Um, anything else in baseball besides the fact that the Mets are horrible and can't even get their giveaway right and had to take it back because it was not manufactured correctly? Any other baseball uh, thoughts pop into your head here? The West divisions are shaping up to be pretty competitive. I saw, I checked the standings yesterday, and I saw Seattle's in first place right now, which is surprising. And they, and that's without Robinson Cano, remember? I know, and they have some good starting pitching there. They've gotten some, you know, they have a good. You know, Seattle's been one of those teams every single year that always seems to be like on the precipice or potentially could contend. And it looks like, at least for right now, they have, uh, you know. The makings of potentially somebody that's there in September. Um, so you have them, Houston, out in the West, and then in the A, in the NL, you have Colorado, Arizona, uh, battling it out. And um, the NL Central is going to be a dog fight, like it usually is. You have Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, and St. Louis and Chicago all fighting there. So I think we're going to see some races this year, and I think every division will be close, maybe except for the NL Central, the AL Central, where. I think uh, Cleveland will eventually pull away. They did the same thing last year where they were teetering around 500, then they went like on a, on a what, 20-something game win streak. Um, I think you're going to see the AL East be tough, the NL East be tough with, with two teams um, you know, battling it out in the NL East with the Braves and, and Phillies and joining the Nationals there. Uh, NL Central we just mentioned, um, and then you got the, the West Divisions and the, the ALE. So I think we're going to see a lot of races this year and a lot of good teams not make the playoffs and potentially one really good team or two teams playing the wild card game and fight for their playoff life. 
talking to Danny Flecker for Off Your Chest here on Teeing It Up. You're, you're in Boston. Is there anything to Tom Brady, mini camps, missing OTAs, all that stuff? Well, he reported today, so I think whatever story they had on that is now dead, but, you know, it begs the question um, from a player who has fought like he's a 90, like he's an 83rd player on the roster, whatever number you want to stay there for all his career to uh, all of a sudden not have that mentality is a little weird. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that team has a lot of issues as far as, you know, their, their structure goes. And, and you look at Tom Brady, he's been there for 18, 19 years, and I'm sure it's worn on him a little bit that he's been a good soldier and everything else like that uh, with the team. But that's how they build their team, and that's how you have to mentally – approach it if you're a player, but at the end of the day, they're still going to win 11, 12, 13 games barring anything catastrophic, so it was a story, it's not a story now, I think the stories will be uh, how much longer is he going to play, and he duplicates the, the year he had last year, and uh, how much, you know, what's the relationship like, like between him and Bill? Um, Speaking of football, this anthem policy that the owners made has has blown up in their face. We've got this Eagles fiasco with with going to the White House and canceling and celebrating the anthem, and Trump responded, and 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 players responded to the owners' policy by saying they they may kneel now because they don't like the way that this is laid out. I don't want to get into politics. We don't do politics on teeing it up, but just in terms of the anthem policy itself. What's your take on what the owners decide to do at the last meetings with this new rule? I think it's a cop-out by them, you know, not giving the players the opportunity to do what they want to do. I mean, at the end of the day, it always comes back to football, being about protecting the shield and everything else like that. But I think the, the thing that people forget when they say that is that the players are the shield. They're the ones that go out every single week and risk their bodies and risk their long-term health to play a game that makes a lot of people rich at the end of the day and taking away an opportunity for the players to express themselves and be who they are in a sport that, let's be honest, on a Sunday you can't really tell who, who's who unless the name's on the back of their jersey. You don't see their faces. Yep. So it, it's, to me, ridiculous. I think that when you look at sports like the NHL and, the, and baseball and and, uh, and basketball specifically, where these players are able to market themselves and um, be outspoken and, and drive most of what the content that is out there, um, that a guy like Roger Goodell, who should realistically never be heard from and never be spoken to and never have his name in the news, is always trumping, you know, sorry for my use of words there, always trumping what it is that the players are doing, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. He's always the the main source of conversation and it's uh, becoming redundant, becoming old, becoming uh, becoming something that's become, uh, you know, an issue and uh, I feel bad for the players at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that we should be celebrating and then we keep bringing up someone who, you know, in my opinion, we don't ever need to talk about. Um, anything else in the football world you want to talk about? Um, not really. No, nothing major's really happening. You know, many camps are underway. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, 
players can stay healthy and we can see uh, these players play September, October, November. You know, the NFL had that big issue last year with all their major stars got hurt. So, you know, my hope is that all these players that are coming back stay healthy and we can see them compete when uh, the season starts. Um, let's move um, to the world of the NBA. Did you have any thoughts on this bizarre, wild, and crazy um, story involving Brian Colangelo, Twitter, uh, burner, Twitter accounts, and the Philadelphia 76ers? It seems to be a popular thing in the NBA, these burner accounts. Uh, first it was Durant, now it's him. It's different for a player, I guess, because... Um, some players are just, you know, quote-unquote soft when it comes to criticism or um, their actions and how they've, they've, they're being perceived in the public and everything else along those lines. But for someone with sensitive information and knowledge to the doings of a franchise, a player, or personnel, um, to have burner accounts, and then using those burner accounts to either share that information or stick up for decisions that are made, by him, at the end of the day, it seems a little screwed up. I mean, it's, it's something that if you're the 76ers, you have to look really long and hard as to why you would keep this guy around. Not only are you jeopardizing your current players, players and staff, but you're jeopardizing your opportunity to potentially bring in players and staff. And they see a guy like Coinjo, uh, you know, in the front office that potentially could divulge private and sensitive information, you know, would you ever feel comfortable, you know, working for a guy like that? So, you know, if I were the 76ers, I'd let him go. I'd let go of his son. I'd let go of anybody involved with his family and uh, start over again with that because that's uh, – only in 2018 would you have a, a story like this happen. It's kind of ridiculous. You got that right. Any thoughts on this NBA Finals? Uh, I'm hoping for a good game tomorrow, just to have something to watch. Uh, we all know what happened in game one, and we saw a lot of good things happen. You know, we, we saw a Cleveland team fight to the very end. We saw LeBron James possibly give one of his best performances in his 15th season in the NBA uh, to one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in sports, minus maybe the Chris Webber timeout play yeah. in 1993. Like, you, know, you you have a, a situation where you're the Cavs, you have a free throw, just go up by one with four seconds left. In no way, shape, or form is that game over by any means if you make that free throw. However, it puts them in a pretty good situation to to win the game. The best possible outcome if you were to miss it was, was if they got the offensive rebound and either have the last shot or go into overtime with some momentum. Unfortunately, it went to the one player that you never wanted to have the ball with that in that situation. That was J.R. Smith. And for him to say at the end of the day, he knew exactly what he was doing. Then to backtrack it on Sunday and say he had no idea of what he was doing. It's just more, just to meant that he is one of the dumbest players to possibly ever put on a uniform, uh, you know. But part of me thinks, too, if you're J.R. Smith or if you're LeBron James, as soon as he caught that ball, you should have maybe called a timeout. Players can call a timeout on the floor, if I'm not mistaken unless there's a rule that they can't, you know, with certain time left in the clock. But big gap by everybody on that, that was wearing a Cavaliers uniform. And, you know, I anticipated Golden State coming out game two and, and, and pushing it and, and keeping Cleveland at arm's length, and they did. Uh, Steph Curry had to have 
a monster game for them to do that, but we've seen all NBA that the home team has an advantage when it comes to these games, and if Cleveland can take one or two at home, then we have a series, but if they go back to Golden State down 3-1, then it's going to be really hard for me to see Cleveland uh, going back for game six, potentially extending that series even further. I am with you totally on that. Finally, your baby, even though you obviously have some disappointment with Italy not being in it, but we are just days away from the World Cup starting. Any just thoughts as, as uh, just, you know, kind of opening thoughts looking towards the World Cup? It's going to be an interesting tournament. You have a, a lot of good players that didn't make the teams. You have a lot of good players that aren't even in it. You have a couple of really good groups. You have a couple of really bad groups. And uh, I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing with soccer and these types of uh, tournaments is how does the bracket fall once you get out of the knockout stages? You know, or is a team that's supposed to finish in first finishes finish? Do they finish in first? Do they finish second? Um, you know, that presents the problem that you could potentially have. You know, a matchup like Spain or Argentina in the second round where realistically they should be meeting in the finals or further down the road. So it's going to be interesting to see how the group stages shake out, who's finishing in first and second, and what the matchups are after that. I mean, the, the teams to look out for, you know, the heavy favorites are Brazil, Germany, and France. Uh, but you just never know with these competitions. It's been a long season for a lot of top players that are on top club teams. Uh, they've had maybe two or three weeks off, and now you're looking at another month tournament. Uh, and then you're looking at training camps for the domestic leagues right after that. So uh, we'll, we'll see what types of what, what gas these players have left in the tank. And you know, my hope is that it's a good tournament with good games, and you know, some some players can get get paid a lot of money uh, just based off of one tournament. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. Why is this always on such a tight timeline? Obviously, this is a loaded question, but I've I've always wondered why. I get that the World Cup is played this time of year, but th- there's got to be more separation between the end of domestic seasons and then the start of the next domestic season. It doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's tough. You know, if you're a top team like Real Madrid, that their, their roster is all constituted of players that are from top nations that have the opportunity to play in Euro, Conball, or... Copa America and the World Cup, you know, they have potentially a situation where they, they finish the domestic league and they play in the Champions League final, which it is the end of May, and then you start the tournament up mid-June, and then, you, you know, if you're on a top team, you're going to the middle of July, and then you're maybe off for two weeks, or you're in training camp a week after that, because I know the Premier League starts, like, middle of August, so... I don't know why exactly it is the way it is. I think there are a lot of games domestically that these teams play. I mean, I think some leagues are at 36 or 38 games. So, I mean, that's already there, 38. You know, you're looking at almost 35 weeks, even if you double up a couple weeks here and there. So, some of these players have played 60 to 70 games already. Throw in the additional uh, potential for 10 more. Um, it's a long season for them, so I don't know exactly why I bet money has something to do with it, TV contracts, stuff like that. But some of these players are going to have to dig deep. And, uh, I, you know, usually after a World Cup, you see a lot of these players 
that aren't used to potentially, you know, all these games start off really, really slow when it comes to the domestic leagues, and that's where their their bread is buttered. So it's tough, you know. The teams that the nations that didn't have the opportunity to play in this tournament and have top players on top teams or teams that are constituted of those players could have an advantage come August and September because they can get out of the gates pretty hot. But I'm with you. I wish there was a little bit more of a gap there. That way, not everything is so condensed and uh, thrown at you, at, you know, one thing right after another. But, uh, yeah, part of me feels bad for them and part of me wishes I was them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how bad I, I do feel about that. And, and, and obviously this will all be different in 2022 when the World Cup's in January and February uh, because it's in Qatar and the whole fiasco with that and having to play in the middle of the night and in winter because of the heat. Um, Which creates even more of an issue when you really think about it because domestic teams will, are going to be uh, in an uproar if their players get hurt uh, yeah. during a tournament that cuts into potentially what it is they had set out and you know, you're looking at a situation like you have with the Olympics, with the Winter Olympics in hockey, right? Yep. Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out when it does happen. There's a lot to uh, to mull over as, as time uh, passes. Danny Flecker, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. No problem, man. You have a good night. And same to you, and thank you all for listening to, to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. See you, everybody.